Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Bill Connolly. ESPN's own friend of the show back once again for what is becoming one of several um, annual, semi-annual, you know, check-ins here on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, We've got a ton to get to. You have just released tons of data for college football fans everywhere. In fact, I saw um, one college football fan remark that this is a checkpoint of the offseason when we get, in all in one week, the returning production rankings and also the first SP Plus rankings for 2022. So we're going to get into those plus a lot of other things. So I want to begin, Bill, with... how are you feeling having finally unearthed all this data? I, I saw you were checking like players' Twitter feeds oh just God. to try to keep up with all the transfers and everything. Our former co-host, Barton Simmons, who's now general manager at Vanderbilt. I mean, he's we've been talking to him. He says like the transfer portal is crazy. So for you to try to keep track of this from a personnel tracking perspective, does it feel good to at least finally have this, uh, this project for this point is done and out into the world? Yeah, I mean, it... <laughs> The combination of, well, the portal part is not that bad just because, you know, there are services out there who have a, who record who's in the portal and you can very easily hit refresh and find out. Um, can't think of what company does that, but, um, you know, there, there are good products for that. So that's fine. As long as they show up in that thing, I mean, that part's easy enough. The, the hardest part this year, it was hard last year. It was like four times harder this year was which seniors are coming back next year. Because on like draft declaration lists, it was going to pr- primarily be the redshirt sophomores and juniors, not the seniors who could have come back but didn't. And so you didn't really have that to lean on. Um, only like 50 of 131 teams have re- released rosters for 2022 so far. And at least one of those, Indiana, purported to be 2022. It was just a, a duplicate of 2021. Um, so at least one of those was incorrect as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of times I had a list of seniors and it was – searching, you know, first name, last name, team name, Twitter in Google and finding their account and and trying to piece together through the through the billions of, of retweets they make for, uh, you know, all their friends getting offers or announcing that they were in the transfer portal or whatever. It, it was a it was a rougher process this year than it's ever been. And I, I mean, I guess if it's harder for me, I'm not going to you know, it's better for the players and and all that. Like, it's fine. But this was a bigger pain in the butt. And I, and I don't feel like I was just amazingly accurate with it either. It was just the best stab possible. So, Bill, yeah. yesterday you dropped returning production. Today you dropped the new SP Plus ratings. I, I want to start with, uh, with returning production. And you, you can weave the SP Plus ratings in, in, in you know, kind of as, as you wish. I, I want to talk some, some different methodology uh, questions here mm-hmm. with you as far as 
what you find has value with returning production and how you go about gathering it as you know as chip just asked uh a couple things so obviously you have you have different weightings for offense and defense you have more position specific uh numbers for offense mm-hmm. and then because defense is more nebulous as you wrote in the piece as far as positionality uh it's more just pure production are we look are, are i know you're a big exclude garbage time guy with with a lot of your numbers that control for opponent quality and, and game state with returning production are, are you able to to do that or is that just kind of a step too far with the granularity well i think i could do that but I, it, it comes down to what are you trying to measure? Is it, is it literally just experience levels? Like how many snaps have you had on the field versus more the, the players who were involved last year, who for whatever good a team did, how much of that good, the important stuff returns for this year. Um, that would be the garbage time thing. Like if a freshman offensive lineman got snaps, who cares? You're up 40. It's more important who was responsible for going up 40. Uh, in the end, I've gone the the former route, just the pure, you know, for offensive line. You know, you got 38 snaps last year. Even if they were in garbage time, that makes you more experienced than you would have been uh, if you hadn't gotten 38 snaps. And so I, I've just gone with the Ross. Now, it's certainly easier as well. But uh, even beyond that, I mean, I think the theory behind it, I, I want to measure experience more than who did the good things and who's coming back that that ended up being the route i chose wouldn't coaches probably back that up too when coaches in the conference only schedule of the pandemic 2020 season one of the Mm -hmm. things that they were um one things they pointed to was in missing some of those non-conference games right they just they wanted to see their freshmen in garbage time because they associate some value even if it is a garbage time snap to being able to get out there. It seems like, I mean, just anecdotally off the top of my head, seems yeah. like the coach would agree with you that all snaps are valuable snaps when it comes to experience. Right. And, and I mean, from a nerd standpoint, you can really question like, what do you really learn in, in 17 snaps against, you know, Stetson or whatever, um, as compared to what you learn every day in practice and all that, maybe it really doesn't have much value, but I, I in the, that's the direction I chose to go. I feel like there's enough value there to, that that should be the the point behind measuring returning production, even though both have pretty good arguments. All right, let's do some myth busting here. <laughs> so broadcasts are going to tell you offensive line and defensive line <laughs> experience, especially offensive line continuity, right? how much it matters. I It's hard for me to sort of divorce myself from that idea because I, I just I do think it kind of matters because it's really more of a teamwork position maybe than some right. other positions are. Uh, but Bill, your research indicates that that is not necessarily the most important spots uh, to have that that returning experience at. Yeah, it's it's breaking it out by unit on offense. Uh, it, it ends up being like approximately the the returning production formula for offense ends up being approximately like twenty nine percent quarterback, six percent running back. 37% receiver tight end and then 28% line. So now that I have snap counts, that was something I didn't have a few years ago. I was using, you know, career starts and whatnot. And, and that wasn't, that wasn't great. That, that, that resulted in offensive line, not really carrying that much weight in the formula because I just didn't have a good way to measure it. Now that I have snap counts, the, the percentage has gone up a whole bunch and it's up to, it's from like 10%, it's up to 28% now. Um, that, it, it, there are a couple of different ways to look at that. Number one, like that's a lot on the passing game for sure. Passing, passing game continuity matters the world. But at the same time, when you divide it by like the number of players we're talking about, 
you know, 6% for running backs, that's one guy at any one time. Obviously, it's more than just the starter, but usually only one running backs on the field. So 6% kind of makes sense there. You divide the 37% for receivers by like four, and it ends up being eight, nine percent or something as opposed to 6%. So it's a little more valuable, but not a ton. And you end up getting about 6% per lineman as well. So really, it's like quarterbacks up here. Uh, and then like receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen, running back are all pretty close together. Have you seen in this, uh, in pulling everything together, obviously last year, a big topic of the conversation was that the returning of production was higher than ever before. Um, right. Were there any other sort of big picture uh, national trends that you were seeing, if it, whether it's starting to cool or, or maintain? Because our coaches keep telling us, as long as all these extra years of eligibility are in the ecosystem, the numbers mm-hmm. are, are, are messed up and creating some real problems <laughs> for some programs um, across the country. Yeah, I mean, last year what we found was um – you know, when I look at the averages for, you know, if you return 80% of your production in a given year, you're usually, you know, you're going to improve by X amount. That wasn't the case last year, in part because like half of freaking FBS returned 80% of their production or, you know, whatever. I put the numbers in the piece. It was like six teams from 2014 to 20 had re- returned, what was it, like 85% or something. And it was like 20 something this year or last yeah. year that did it. So Louisiana basically, at like 91 or something. Right. Uh, Louisiana, uh, UCLA, uh, Wyoming was really high. And so those Old teams. Pac 12 brought back. Pac 12, that's right. Which, you know. Congratulations. Pac 12 didn't improve even yeah. slightly last year. Um, so basically any advantages you might get from that were, were significantly negated by the fact that everybody else had those same advantages. Now, if you lost guys, if you had like Northwestern was at you know 37% or something last year, that's always going to be bad. And that's always going to be very foreboding, but their SP plus rating ended up dropping like three touchdowns last year because they were the only ones that were that inexperienced overall. And you could, I mean, you could quite clearly see it on the field and even, you know, just the teams at the bottom of the list, most of them did regress aside from Tennessee and South Carolina, both getting sparks from new co- uh, coaches and whatnot. Um, that ended up like the bottom end very much held true when it came to if you don't clear this certain mark, then you're probably going to regress at the at the high end. It was a lot harder. It was a lot less likely that you were going to improve dramatically just because everybody else was returning a ton as well. I was a couple more here on. Oh, sorry, yeah, we're going to go around the, to conference yeah. by conference. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Well, I, I, I have two more on methodology. Uh, one comes from our audience, actually. Uh, so you can follow us on Twitter at Cover Three Podcast. Uh, and they wanted to know, is there any weight given to, to when the production came in the right. season? This example was basically like, hey, what if a young guy played quite a bit played well later in the season? Are, are you able to actually track that with this? No, sample size is always going to be the enemy of something like this because there are always going to be teams. Actually, I was going to I'll talk about Cameron Risen, for instance, in a second. But there are always going to be teams that win like four of their last five games. Um, and, you know, with a bunch of sophomores who are they going to return the next year. And, you know, in theory, that seems pretty sustainable if you improved with guys who will be back and, and had a reason for, you know, needing to improve and all that other stuff. It's 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 really, really hard from a number standpoint to make anything out of four games. It's, I mean, it's hard to make anything out of 12 games, if we're being honest. But um, but it, it's so no, like it's it's really hard to to know what's real in that case. Now, a case of an injury or, you know, a, a Sam Darnold, Cameron Rising situation where they just started the season with the wrong guy. Um, and so like Utah, let's see, Utah returns. Do I have that spreadsheet pulled up? 
This is always the best part of uh, podcasting with spreadsheets. Um, Utah returns at the quarterback position because they lost Charlie Brewer. They they return eighty percent of their passing yards. Like really, if I'm if I'm going team to team and making manual adjustments, I should probably change that to a hundred percent because they're returning a hundred percent of the passing yards that actually ended up mattering for them last season. But that ends up being kind of a that and like Boston College with the quarterback injuries. Like I'll go back through. And for the big injuries, you know, over the next few months, for the big injuries, I'll, I'll go in and you know put in their 2020 stats instead, which for Pac-12 teams isn't going to make a damn bit of difference, I guess, But because it's still only going to be four games or whatever. But I, I try to account for it in that way. It wasn't possible in January. So I'll make a lot more manual adjustments as we go. I, I know you wrote in your SP Plus, or SP Plus piece uh, about how you're using uh, transfer ratings in the recruiting formula and sort of slowly easing it in yeah. uh, as we figure out just how good these ratings are. I mean, we have a decent feel for in the aggregate, you know, how good uh, recruiting rankings are, which right. by the way, check our YouTube page. I just shot a video of that. Do you know right. that four and five stars are 23 of the 44 starters in the Super Bowl, uh, despite being only about 8% of the entire scholarship player pool in college football. That's uh that's a pretty good number there. We're, uh, we're not going to have the low-hanging fruit columns of this guy was a no-star and now he's in the Super Bowl. So they're it's fine. Cooper oh, Cup there. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, never mind. A million Cooper Cup. Yeah, never mind. Pieces. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. It shows um, how much I don't read about the Super Bowl until about the Thursday before the Super Bowl. I, I, I could see it coming. I've been working on this for like three weeks. <laughs> Cooper Cup is going to be the story. Also, everybody else was, was a blue chip. Um, so, I, hypothetically here. Yeah, if you had a quarterback who was in like an air raid style offense and threw for a million yards, mm-hmm. and he transferred to Wisconsin, a team that doesn't throw the ball all that much, yeah, he's coming from from a real high volume offense. He's going to a very low volume offense. Do, do you? I, I know in the piece you said you just you just jam the numbers in there. <laughs> yeah. What, what, do you do you make any account for for volume? I, that's another thing that I might do with the manual adjustments later, but at the same time, I'm not worried about an air raid guy going to Wisconsin. Like it's, it's such a low probability. And even with Caleb Williams, if that had happened, he's only sort of air raid and he had only thrown for like 2000 yards because he only played half the year. So that still wouldn't have really mattered. But yeah, I mean, there are, there are certain like manual adjustments that would improve the process. That would be one of them if or when it happened. Um, and back when I was counting FCS stats, you know, we had a couple of air raid, like super prolific uh, Eastern Washington type guys go to uh, well, Ver- Vernon Adams going to Oregon and, and the kid who ended yep. up at Washington, but not playing a couple of years ago, Kevin Thompson from Sacramento state. I think um, I plugged that, his numbers in and I mean, there was like, wow, Washington's now, you know, going to be loaded at quarterback next year. And, and obviously that, well, there's a reason I don't count FCS numbers now as a general rule. But even beyond that, yeah, I mean, there are going to be some examples where you can kind of rig the system with a, a very prolific guy who isn't going to match those numbers, but it just doesn't happen very much. Those guys don't go to Iowa and Wisconsin and so forth. So they're, so it's not a problem I actually have to address, even if it's a whole overall. You want to Chip, take, a, take a little spin? Tom's not here and... today. Oh, yeah. We should, we should start with the ACC, man. <laughs> we can't we don't have our our checks and balances uh yeah. to be able oh, yeah. to well then uh, so in uh in in the the cons like the acc right now is in a mm-hmm. fascinating position because we have just seen for the first time since 2014 someone not named clemson and for the first time <laughs> since all the way back to 
um, Virginia Tech, right? That we didn't have a Clemson or Florida State here in this position. Jeez, oh, yeah. Like we are. Um, we ha- has blood been drawn because. I look at the ACC Atlantic and what NC State was able to do, not just uh, last year, but even the previous season. We see what Wake Forest has uh, been able to do under Dave Clawson in terms of establishing some stability. In your returning production rankings, Mike Norvell's Florida State Seminoles, 11th in the country. Louisville trying to get a little bit of a bounce back, 14th in the country. I I wonder um, – if we are going to be looking at a, a year that is like a get right for Clemson, right. or <clears throat> if we are seeing some of these other teams within that division, really starting to see what we've seen with Alabama in the, in the SEC, which is like, if your pace setter is up here and everyone else truly is charged and motivated, catch <laughs> the pace setter. Right. Eventually all of those resources are going to pay off and being able to put yourself in a position to do it. So what do you make of the let's start what do you make of the ACC Atlantic where it definitely looks like some of these teams are loading up trying to uh, chase the chance yeah the most boring things uh, the most boring thing about the SP plus projections overall is basically when a power falls a little bit like it, it just basically says yeah they're fine it'll be fine they're gonna be right back to where they were last year and Clemson sure enough is projected fifth overall because even though recent history isn't a massive piece of it it's I mean they were they were perfect almost before 2021 and their defense was still really good and so um it it was I was I was kind of curious where the ACC projections would land and I was hoping it'd be a big fat mess but you've got Clemson at fifth then you got Pittsburgh and uh, NC State at 13 and 15 you got Miami at 20 FS year 24 um and what louisville at 29 i guess like that's pretty much um that's pretty boring <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty straightforward overall and it's not a lot of fun to talk about i was actually very curious about nc state though um you know i tweet i even tweeted out the other day once i saw that if if returning production basically the projected change you get from returning production if if the if all i did for sp plus projections was take that apply that projected t- uh, change to last year's total, what would, you know, where would they land? Like NC State would have been fourth overall if, if you just looked at last year in returning production. There's a reason I don't do that because uh, NC State would have been fourth and that doesn't quite feel right. Um, and so you apply recruiting and all these other things. I didn't realize that like the recruiting average I've got for, for NC State, which is a lot last year, and all, a lot of NC State fans have already mentioned, like we only signed 12 guys. Well, I look at both, raw point totals and average recruiting and i look at the three years before that as well um and to a certain degree and they're still like barely top 50 uh, in in the way i measure the recruiting averages so that dragged them down a lot and it only it put them only at 15th and if i'm personally ranking these teams i'd probably put them more in that like that 9 to 12 area i think just because i mean a lot of the recruiting rankings you know, you're looking at defensive line talent means a ton. It's really hard to get really good line talent without really good recruiting rankings. I think they've got it. Um, and so I would give the same way with Baylor to a certain degree. I would give them a little bit more faith. But, I mean, that does that does serve as kind of a reminder that NC State's kind of new to being really, really good, and, and those teams don't always uh, keep it up. And hasn't SP Plus hated NC State at times? Like, isn't that one of the one of the teams that even as the the wins have stacked up, like each week you 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 release the new batch and you're just flooded by Wolfpack fans? I mean, your name is mentioned in Raleigh, North Carolina, on the radio a lot, and especially this week it has been mentioned a lot. Like, they, well, you are known, you are well known among the NC State fan base. That's that's interesting. I don't get a lot of Raleigh radio requests. That's you know. Well, Joe Ovius and Joe Gilio. Oh, oh yeah. He, okay, Joe does. Joe does yeah. sometimes. 
Um, yeah, I think a lot of that comes from them being 54th while going eight and four in 2020. That was the main, um, and I'm looking through the rankings. Actually, I mean, when they won, when they won nine games in 17 and 18, they were, uh, 24th and 35th. So it hasn't, it doesn't dislike NC State, doesn't love them. But then last year they were 14th. I mean, it was legit, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The offense was still conservative and, um, you know. Oh, Bud hates it. But yeah, I want to drive this bus. Yeah. Yeah. I was all over NC State last year, man. Like, like, I I was like, they were, they were like probably the first, like, I'm going to be honest, over win total before the win totals were even a thing. Right. Probably back. And then, they got there, but they were also, if you look at Jared Lee's numbers, they were worst in the entire power five in win probability added for fourth mm-hmm. down decisions. Well, yeah. if you're going to have your hand in the dirt, you can't be going all willy nilly going for it on fourth down hand in the dirt means we punt in plus territory. Well, and it's funny too, because they passed a lot. That, that's the weirdest part about this. Isn't, you know, uh, 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 well, like a Northwestern, I guess, who, you know, only wants to run the ball, but can't like they couldn't run the ball, but they didn't really try all that much. Donovan Knight and Ricky person didn't even have 150 carries either one of them. And so when you pass a lot and you pass reasonably well, that should make you more confident in those situations. And and it really was a, uh, Poor game management situation. It, it felt like anyway. I didn't really. I mean, well, I was about to say it didn't really cost them. I mean, I guess they did lose two of their three games by a combined four points. So it could have very much cost them, and it might continue to. But yeah, no. I mean, it's. I I, I don't want to pretend this is a top five team, but I I you know the the line, the defense, the line talent. It feels like they've got a lot going for them, even though they're obviously losing a really 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 good offensive lineman. The, the split with the Atlantic to the Coastal is really wild to me this year. Um, I mean, you have the, the least experienced team in the Atlantic, right? To you know, Chip mm-hmm. mentioned a bunch of them. Cuse is also 15th. Wake's 46th, and you get Sam Hartman back. Um, yep. In the Coastal, you have Georgia Tech 109th in experience, returning experience, UVA 123rd, <laughs> and then Duke 125th. I mean, we <laughs> the Coastal champ might be 7-1 in the league. Yeah, oh, because you can beat up on the bottom. Right. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the Atlantic, I mean, six and two probably gets you the Atlantic this year, and maybe outright, given how many teams are projected to be top twenty or top forty level. Right. Yeah, and obviously a lot of that will depend on Clemson and if they really do kind of click back into place. But um, yeah, no, I mean it's it's kind of a, I mean not that we're. Not that it's weird that the coastal champ could be uh, from a lesser pool than the Atlantic, but you're right. I mean, if one team particularly stands out, whether it's Pitt or you know a Miami or whoever, but that's like it. it. I, I, I what yeah. else would you add? I, yeah. I can only that's, think whatever is is what else I would add. I kind of caught myself there. Um, no, it's you know if if they really do kind of stand out, if Pitt really is the 13th best team in the country, obviously they're in very very good shape. Um, overall, at least until the ACC finally actually gets rid of divisions, which would be lovely because that is kind of kind of sad overall. Um, I see. I'm trying to think what else I have to say about the ACC uh, as a whole. Duke, by the way, like near the bottom of returning production for two straight years. Uh, that's that's a that's the way you get projected 117th overall. Like it's it's bad news. They are very 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 much starting from scratch. Yeah, what we have for, for we said uh, Virginia Tech and Virginia over under combined four and a half ACC wins, and the advantages were that a they play each other, and b they both play Georgia Tech and Duke. Yeah, yeah, that'll be that's a good uh, that's a good cushion right there. Um, 
Okay, so oftentimes we see some of the best teams in the country, some of the top programs in the country, and the Blue Bloods, they end up lower on the returning production. Why? Because they've got studs that are going to the NFL. Um, Ohio State checks in at number 24. (laughs) That shocked me. And so I want to ask about the the Buckeyes, and then in particular, it seems like it's more on the defensive side of the ball with, which when you add in the context of bringing in one of the top defensive coordinators from last season, uh, kind of a bit scary for the rest of the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, assuming I had it all, you know, laid out right, they do lose a couple of defensive linemen that were really good. Uh, well, really, they were solid. They didn't have – they weren't great up front, obviously, last year. Um, but they do get thinned out a little bit there. Returning production formula doesn't really care about the defensive line. Um, that was one of the biggest shocks when I was, really run, you know, just generally running correlations, trying to figure out the weights to apply to everything. Maybe it's just because the teams with the best defensive lines, like I was talking about with recruiting, maybe it's just that they always have the best defensive lines and – uh, and therefore, it doesn't end up mattering all that much in that regard. But um, being that returning production doesn't really care all that much about the line. In fact, they return the top what top four linebackers, it looks like, uh, top five defensive backs, plus Tanner McAllister from Oklahoma State. Um, but yeah, like, obviously, when they struggled last year, they got shoved around. And there's nothing, you know, they, they have to prove that that's not going to happen again. Um, because, again, that's where their attrition is here. But it, it is it's easy to assume that the defense will be good enough to not get in the way of the, of what should be another incredible offense. Bill is uh is an offensive SP plus preseason rating of 48. The highest you can remember in the preseason. <laughs> um, let's see based on the new, let me see how quickly I can pull this based on the new form, like the new weights and everything looking back over time, uh, Oh no, no, wait, I don't have that easily available. Never mind. Um, it, it's high. It's, that it's, jumped out to it's, me is like it's it's whoa. stupid high, and that was the case. That was why you know Ohio State was second in SP plus last year. It's not like it liked their defense all that much, although it only had them in the twenties, I think. Uh, but their offense was so far ahead of everyone else's at forty seven point two. Like the defense didn't really matter. It just assumed they would figure it out, and for the most part, they did. They just uh, they blew a couple red zone chances against Oregon, and of course, the the Michigan game got away from them at the end. So they're still a very good football team, and if the defense improves, then what's not to like? What do you? Yeah, I mean, you, there's a real chance they just they just score, they, they just outscore everybody this year. I mean, they they if you're a full touchdown better projected offensively than the fifth rated team that's that's kind of like back to what we were seeing with that joe burrow team for a little while Um, yeah and it it was funny i mean with um you know we could be talking any other team we'd be talking about like well they lose you know garrett wilson and chris Olave. that's a that's a big deal but i like i remember joking before the rose bowl i'm like well i guess that means smith and jigba just has to catch 300 yards worth of passes Uh, and then he did yeah and 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 so like if he's going to be that great, not, not that he's going to average 300 yards a game, but if he's going to really be like the best receiver or very close to it in the country, and then they have like 38 other former five star receivers to choose from, like two of them are going to come through, and that it's just impossible to even pretend to worry about the receiving core. So what did your numbers tell you about Michigan and what does your head tell you about <laughs> Michigan? Because applying context to looking yes. at this team into 2022 um, makes these and uh, number four in SP plus mm-hmm. um, 
in the age, what's how, how do you look at Michigan and how do you consider the Wolverines given their current state uh, on the field, but then also on the sidelines? Right, ignoring the context of of uh, everything that's happened since their season ended, the fact that you know their offense took a big step forward last year and now returns you know quarterback, I guess not Haskins, but plenty of talent at, at running back, like basically all the receivers, um, good portion of the offensive line, plus they added the Virginia kid, the the center um, Oluwatimi. Um, like th- it seems like further improvement is all but guaranteed there on offense and on defense. They they lose a ton and should regress a little bit. I think it has them. Yeah. Projected down to 19th now, um, to fall from 10th. So yeah, I mean, offense gets a little better. Defense gets a little worse and, and you've got a potential top five team again. Obviously when you had the context, not, not just the Harbaugh nearly left thing. I mean, that's, Whatever teams, Michael Leach, you know, McDonald. I mean, like the all of well, the right. Like that part matters more to me than Harbaugh almost. Correct. Like Michael Michael Leach almost left Washington State a million times, and they just kept getting a little better each year. But uh, so that part doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, you had, you know the offensive coordinator who finally kind of got things moving forward just left. Um, and you know the defensive coordinator lit things on fire on the way out. <laughs> right. I, I can't stay here. They don't care about me. Um, and then I mean, yeah, the D coordinator leaving for the NFL that makes a little more sense, obviously. But no, I mean, you know, it, it took a lot of hires to get that kind of that, that thing, you know, get the ship righted in Michigan, and now you just lost your two most important hires. That's, I mean, it, if nothing else, it adds volatility. Everything could be perfectly fine, but there's like a greater chance that things could get really weird too. If there are two teams that are going to test returning production's weights as far as how much defensive line matters, yeah, it's one in the league we just talked about with Florida yep. State, the, the loss of Jermaine Johnson, who now, I, shout out Jermaine, look, looking like he might be a top 20 pick now <laughs> o- overall, and Kier Thomas, obviously, and then Michigan, who had an even better pair of, of defensive ends. I mean, it, yeah, the system, obviously, like when you go back and you do your, man, your manual adjustments, is, are, is that a team that you say, hey, Defensively, I, I see what the system sees here, but they were able to play a certain style that was very dependent on having like two and Daxton Hill. Picks. I kind of felt like the way that they used Hill in that um, yeah. defense right. allowed everything else to because he's so versatile. They could be uh, more liberal elsewhere. Yeah, I mean. Florida State one's interesting. Like, I mean, with Michigan, I, I probably wouldn't make too many manual adjustments just because, I mean, the waiting is the waiting for a reason, and what do I know? But Florida State is an interesting example of, you know, if it really is tied to recruiting rankings and the best defensive lines are just – they always have the most talent. Florida State's an interesting one because, you know, now that he's gone, it's not like there are 38 blue chippers waiting to, to step into right. the defensive line. I, you know, Cooper was a blue chipper, but otherwise it was like low four, high three stars uh, for the most part. So if if that's why defensive line doesn't carry much weight in the formula, then yeah, Florida State's not living up to uh, their lofty um, returning production rating uh, just because they lost more talent than they could replace uh, up front. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, the fact that they return all basically all their linebackers and all their DBs and – I still can't decide if I like Greedy Vance or not, but they added him and he's got potential at the very least. Um, It's very easy to see why that could be a very good situation. But if Johnson really was the key, if he was just a standout talent that they can't possibly replace, then yeah, it's going to be hard. What are they? They were 37th on defense last year. They're projected to improve to 13th because of the returning production. That might be a little aggressive. We'll say. 
Yeah, I'll be manually adjusting that uh, slightly. <laughs> Although they do, they are really high, really high on Jared Verse, the Albany transfer, who I yeah. think was a top ten rated guy. But obviously, FCS stats don't transfer perfectly. Yeah. Bill, if we could shift over, sorry for taking this back to the ACC. I just the, the Michigan comment yeah. triggered my brain. I was like, that's the one I wanted to hit on uh, about the uh, the defensive you know line value as far as how the returning production formula sees it. The other side of the Big Ten West, or the other side of the Big Ten, the West is, is interesting here um, in that. Iowa is like the only team that has really great returning production by P5 standards. Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah, I assumed when I saw the the production piece that Iowa would be the projected favorite in the uh, in SP Plus. Then I remembered two things. Number one, SP Plus will never, ever, ever fall out of love with with Wisconsin. There is nothing Wisconsin oh, can do. That SP Plus wouldn't still put them in the top ten the next year. Um, I, they've they've mastered, and it's it's still hilarious to me that like Ken Pomeroy for so many years had the same problem with Wisconsin um, on the basketball side. It's like the entire athletic department has figured out the best way of saying we're not going to land a ton of blue chippers. Here's what we can land. We have a lot a lot of very lanky athletes that you know sometimes we can make them six seven three hundred twenty pound linemen, and sometimes we can make them like you know, six, eight, 220 pound three point shooters. Uh, we're, we know we can get that. We're going to build everything around what we know we can have. And and that's extremely admirable, but it does feel like they're always projected higher than I want. The other thing that I, I wasn't necessarily taking into account with, with Iowa uh, is how much SP plus very justifiably hates their offense. Um, they're, they're still, even with that high return in production, they're still projected only 26th, um, and and you know they're third on defense and seventy fourth on offense. It's it's you know they insist on running the ball even though they can't. Um, they don't even though the you know Ference isn't actually all that bad on like fourth downs and whatnot. They just it's lowest common denominator stuff and they're not very good at it. And if they don't have a plus fifteen or whatever turnover margin, they they're going to go eight and four. And so. Um, I, I was a little surprised by that until I thought a little harder about it. But the, 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 the division as a whole really is interesting. You've got number 10, Wisconsin. You've got 19, Minnesota, who um, really should be, you know, should, could continue to improve defensively and might get things back uh, on track a little bit offensively with Ibrahim coming back. Um, you've got Purdue at 27th. You've got Nebraska at 34th. You know, no comment on Nebraska's game management issues and whether that improves, but you, that's, that's, you know, what five teams within about uh, six points of each other. Um, so that's, that's pretty big. Even if Illinois really does fall off the map with, I didn't realize until I was putting things together, how much they lose from last year. That's going to be a real test in the second year. Even if Illinois doesn't get it together, even if Northwestern doesn't get it together, it could still be a really, really interesting race. Minnesota almost backdoored its way into the Big Ten championship game with like four quarterbacks, no offensive coordinator, and a different scheme every single week. Yeah. It was bananas. Yeah, no, I, it, that was that, that sneaked up on me a little bit until they really kind of handled Wisconsin. And I mean, like I'm looking at their schedule again. Like it was only two weeks earlier that they had lost, or three weeks earlier that they had lost to Illinois. So it's not like it was a massive sustained turnaround. But they really did seem to figure out a lot, especially on defense last year. And if the offense just gets back, even if it's not like the Kirk Soraka peak where they were like 10th in whatever year that was, 2018 or whatever, uh, 2019, I guess. Yeah. Um, even if they're just like a top 40 offense again, that's that's a really strong team. So um, should be fine. Even though Wisconsin is at the top, it, it does bear mentioning that, you know, number 34, Nebraska is only six points away from them right now. That's That's not very much. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we had all the comments from Lincoln Riley yesterday on how he didn't take players from Oklahoma. He took players from the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, legally aside, you would think that Oklahoma would rank poorly in the returning production numbers. But actually, Bill, it's everybody else who had a surprisingly decent season in the Big 12 or, yeah. you know, or at least a good season who is uh, – who, who rank – 90th or worse in uh, in returning production this year. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's not great. They're 71st. They're right in the middle where it's not really an advantage or a disadvantage. But, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State, you kind of knew that one was going to be an issue just with what they lost. I mean, it doesn't even count losing your, your stud defensive coordinator, but basically losing your top two linebackers and most of your secondary. And the secondary was so good. And that linebacking court never missed a tackle. Um, you know, that is going to be big. Even though they return a lot up front, again – SP Plus doesn't really care if you return a good defensive lineman. It cares a lot more about the other positions. And so uh, that's going to that's gonna hurt. They're, they're projected to fall from 4th to 21st on defense, which is still, I mean, not terrible, but it is a fall. Um, the offense is, is not really projected to get better, so that doesn't seem like a – a great recipe for for you know another top 10 finish but the, the other interesting one is Baylor and um th- this is another thing where it's just you know how returning production is measured because you look at the secondary they lose like four of their top five dbs another awesome secondary they lose a ton of top uh, of important guys they lose four of their top five receiver targets including Ebner um that you know that's that seems very problematic from a from a formula standpoint they also you know Bohannon's not amazing but they they return experience at quarterback and they're going to have the best offensive and defensive line in the big 12 um you know just they just are Connor Galvin I had to check four times like are you sure he's coming back and maybe I just searched for it wrong like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me an all-american six seven three ten left tackle who didn't go pro but it appears he's coming back um, and, and like four starters are overall, their defensive line is good and just added Jackson player who I love, um, just a bowling ball, just an awesome presence. And I hope he, that translates really well in the big 12. Um, like that seems like a top 15, close to top 15 team to me, um, even with the turnover receiver and DB, but the formula is not going to like that very much. Do you, is, is there like a player development edge that you see at Baylor? Like with your eyes, you know, right. do, you, do you see that that program is uh, in a place where the it, whether it is like a returning production or an experience or right. the recruiting ratings that that they have things moving in the right direction based on coaching, strength, conditioning, development, things like it's, that? It's quite possible. I mean, obviously, both lines took a big step forward this year. They're also experienced and they're going to be more experienced this year. And next year, they're not going to be experienced at all. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how much, <clears throat> excuse me, how much of a difference that makes. But yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like 
Well, number one, it seems like if you hired Grimes as your offensive coordinator, you're going to get a lot meaner on offense. A lot. Well, more the physical. line is going to be nasty. Like, isn't right. that sort of like one, right. one of the places Grimes came from? Was right. as a line coach? Right. Yeah, and I mean, Abram Smith obviously um, is a is a lovely and extremely physical back as well. So the, he had what he needed to make an immediate impact. You know, over time, we'll see if they. You know, I know some of those guys were Matt Rule recruits, and you know, we'll see if they can maintain that with their own recruiting, but. I mean, it's certainly the identities in place. That's a big part of it. Uh, obviously, Aranda knows what a good defense looks like. Uh, he's been a part of plenty of them. And so um, it seems like that's all pointed in a direction that he wants it to go. They just, I mean, as far as development goes, we just have to see them do it again and again and again before we can know for sure, I guess. I, oh, by the way, one th- more thing about uh, production and the Big 12. Iowa State loses everybody. Mm-hmm. Um that that was it feels like that window's closed for a couple of years. Um, not to say Campbell can't do it again, but this was a humongous opportunity for them this year, and they lost a ton of close games, and it's gonna be really hard for them to to challenge again, I think, this year. I I might be buying low. Like if, if the narrative gets just totally out there, sure. I, I might buy low on them. Like sure. I, like as a you contender, know, I don't see them no, as a exactly. contender. They're not going to go two and ten, but I don't see them as a contender. When did Matt Campbell get that contract extension? It was this year, right? Probably. I, I mean, the I guess timing he might, on that. He might do it again. It's just that that's always going to be a program where it's going to be really hard to maintain a certain standard without an occasional fallback here. One of the worst I told you so was how hard the Cover 3 podcast went on cautioning Iowa State fans from their <laughs> optimism. Yeah. I mean, Iowa State fans hated us. And then again, it is a painful I told you so when they don't make it to the Big 12 championship game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you, yeah, you hate, you never feel good about it. It's not like you're, you're, oh, they're going to be terrible and it's going to be hilarious or anything. Well, actually, I don't know. Maybe you said that, but, um, Oh, we don't, I was, I was <laughs> not that not hilarious. I mean, hilariously I bad it. It involves, you know, um, things that are much more, um, wild over the top, normally an explosive offense or a leaky yeah. defense, like being very, very solid. Yeah. <laughs> the core elements of football is not hilarious. Yeah. I mean, but Iowa State, like they were still 19th at SP plus last year. That wasn't as good as expected, but it was still quite good. They just, you know, they lose by 10 to Iowa because of a ton of turnovers. They lose by two. They lose by seven. They lose by three. They lose by seven. They lose by seven. It was just, they were so close to being the team they could have been, but now they lose everybody and, and it's going to take a little while. I think one of the issues was you would give them a compliment by any like rational standards based on 120 years of their football program <laughs> experience, right. right? Like, I think they can be a top 30 level team or a top you know 25 yeah. level team, which at Iowa State is a huge accomplishment, and they would just go nuts on you on social media. Yeah, right. Well, the, like, the chips on the shoulders in the Big 12. Um, and I'm not even going to say it's the the the, the quote unquote leftover programs. Even OU, OU fans on Twitter have the biggest chip on their shoulder for oh, last no freaking reason whatsoever. Um, they have been the most consistently successful program in the history of college football, pretty much, or at least the last 70 years. And they will stab you quickly. Miami fans will stab you even more quickly. But OU fans are always up there, very, very, very high on the on the shiv list. Oklahoma fans at least exist in real life. Miami fans are primarily like creatures <laughs> of the internet. So like, I, I'm much more fearful of Oklahoma fans because, you know. Miami Twitter is so mean. It's amazing. It is. Uh, Pac-12? 
Yeah, Pac-12. I mean, I want to make sure we get to the SEC. Yeah. All right, Bill, (laughs) I have two Pac-12 questions 10, 15 more minutes here. We haven't actually touched on – yeah, okay. All right, USC is 94th in returning production, but they absolutely killed the portal. How? (laughs) Um, Okay, let me pull up USC here. So, obviously, Caleb Williams helps, uh, but they still only return 30% of passing yards because they lost Slovis and Dart. So that's that's one of those where if you're into making manual adjustments, you give Williams like a full season's worth of numbers instead of half. But, I mean, even then, it's still only going to be like 50%. Um, They return... Um, well, the, the other offensive numbers are okay, like 50-something percent of, of rushing yards, 60-something percent of receiving yards because of the portal, because of, you know, you lose Ingram, but you get Travis Dye. You lose Drake London, but, uh, well, you get Washington and Bryant, but then you also get Mario Williams and Terrell Bynum and whatnot. Um, so that kind of, on, on offense, it at least kind of splits the difference. Their offensive numbers aren't terrible. The defensive numbers are terrible, and, and that's scary because – any hype they're getting this year is because of the offense. But number one, I mean, OU under uh, had its worst team in seven years last year. And I'm not going to pretend Caleb Williams was responsible for that. He, again, he only played half the year. They still had, the, you know, a, a very, very good offense and a bad defense uh, that – and now he's going to USC. It probably has less on defense than last year's OU team had. At least it will at first. Like – I really struggle with the hype here because the defense is just not built to turn around quickly. And that was their, that was USC's problem last year. That was Alex Grinch's problem last year. Uh, And now they basically they're moving West with a roster, very similar to the one they had, but the defense is where the problems are like losing three of your top five defensive linemen and and adding a couple, but not, not guys who played a lot losing uh, a couple of of high volume linebackers and, and same deal. Like the guys there they added via the portal on defense only like one of them played more than let's see one of them played more than 218 snaps last year it's just not making much of an impact offense is fine defense is still going to be an issue stanford's one of our favorite teams to talk about just because it was like the example of the early signing period and the impact that it can have and the way that admissions and all these other things that a lot of college football fans don't think about changed a program that was at the very, very top of the Pac-12 and they started to take a step back. Now we are seeing recruiting in this past cycle. David Shaw has done a really, really good job at being able to restock everything. And here Stanford sits in a very interesting position, third nationally. Um, I think that uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on whether you believe that all this um, seeming like reversal of the trajectory and the momentum is going to end up playing out on the field where we see Stanford back in the mix for Pac-12 titles. Yeah, it's I mean, it speaks volumes. I think when I tweeted out earlier, the the teams that are projected to improve the most like on an adjusted point per game basis, not like, not like ratings points, but actually just who's, who's going to improve the most by points. Stanford. Yeah. Stanford is number one easily. They're projected to improve by 11.9 points per game overall. That moves them to 68th uh, in SP plus because they were a hundred and freaking fifth last year. Like it's uh, it, it. Well, I mean, They've had this thing going for a while now where like the offense achieves a certain level, but the defense kind of falls off a little bit and then the defense improves and the offense falls off a little bit, but both of them completely fell apart last year. Then, and, and that's like Tanner McKee, it, 
appears to be pretty solid. His receiving core isn't amazing, considering they actually have some some pretty good former recruits there. The run game stunk for the most part and has stunk for years now. And and they're still Stanford. They're still, uh, you know, they want to do the big burly thing and they have a lot of uh, well-recruited offensive linemen, but they couldn't even, they couldn't even, they knew they couldn't run last year. They were like bottom percentages in, in like run rate and whatnot because they couldn't do it. And that's kind of crazy, but um, they just, they couldn't do those Stanford things well on offense and the defense was bad. And now they lose like the entire defensive line. Um, again, SP plus doesn't really care about that, but they don't have just a ton of star talent, like recruiting stars talent at linebacker or DB. Um, so that's kind of the issue. I think the offense should take a step forward. Tanner McKee is good and the receiving core is very experienced. The, the line is very experienced. I don't know if they have a single damn thing at running back, but, uh, they should, should still be, yeah, I guess EJ Smith was decent, but he, he also barely played. Um, they should be okay on offense. I just don't know why, like I, they get no faith whatsoever on the defensive side of the ball at this point. 10 minutes on the SEC. Can we do it? So, I love that we, we didn't even touch on like Oregon or UCLA or Washington, but we're kind of running out of time here. Yeah. Uh, we always do this. Um, <laughs> all right. So question for you, and this is yes. kind of a methodology, and I, I'm going to tie it into two of uh, the two teams that just played for the national title. Have you considered uh, weighting returning production relative to recruiting, right? Yes. So under the theory that like, it, Nevada and Hawaii are pretty much decimated, and they don't recruit at a high level. So losing right. those guys who were you know, contributors for them is a bigger deal uh, than it is if you're a team that returns a ton of talent. Like Alabama's 65th, and that seems really high to me for Alabama. Yeah. Like normally yeah. they're not oh, 65th. Yeah. Yeah. And Georgia is where Bama normally is at like 96th-ish. Does I've, it matter, like returning production matter less if you have more freaks? Oh, yeah, and that's why recruiting is one-fifth of the – of the formula. I have tried to play with like a, a, a weighted scale where if you lose, if you return almost everybody, your recruiting rankings matter less. And if you lose almost everybody, your recruiting rankings matter more. Uh, I mean, maybe there's a good way to do it. I haven't found a way that makes it better than simply applying 20, 20 ish percent of the projections to recruiting rankings. Uh, and that basically that's, that pretty much solves it. I mean, Georgia, is in the 90s in returning production. They're still second in in SP plus in, in the preseason here, and they would have been first if Ohio State hadn't been 25th in returning production. So, yeah, the teams that recruit the best, it, it is built to give them pretty spectacular benefit of the doubt, um, and that's why you know I included the conference averages. Um, in the SP plus post, just like, you know, what are the average ratings per conference? Like all the, all the P five teams are projected to improve or P five conferences are projected to improve slightly. Um, especially the SEC because, you know, now A&M is recruiting like Alabama and Georgia too. And then, you know, all the G fives are projected to, to slide slightly for the most part. I think the AAC is experienced enough to pretty much handle that, but I mean, that's just that's kind of the way it works. It, it, recruiting is just about giving you benefit of the doubt for the most part. It gives you more margin for error. And I think that bears out in the formula for the most part. So Georgia being 96 does not mean that they can't win a title. Like like we, we've seen teams close to 100 returning production win it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's most of the playoff teams in a given year. This is a weird year for that. But most of the playoff teams in a given year are going to turn around and rank like 90th or worse. Um, I think Alabama, when they fielded the greatest team of all time, potentially in 2020, they ranked like 80th in returning production. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, that's to be that good, you're going to have a lot of experienced guys who are going to turn around and go pro. And uh, the teams that recruit at the top five level are, are going to you know, handle that just fine and turn around and be okay again. When we talked about teams being like hilariously bad or hilariously good, I you know laid out a little bit of a blueprint of something that I look at. I don't know if they will not be hilariously bad, but I do think that there's the potential for hilarious results with the Tennessee Volunteers, a team that ranks number three in offensive SP plus in the preseason, uh, number forty-two in the defense uh, SP plus, yeah. and nine overall. They're top thirty-five in terms of produ- returning production. Um, where, where are you at with the vowels, man? The problem with Tennessee, and I realize I could go any number of directions with that. I could go a countless number of directions with that. Um, Like, I I mean, I know why they're there. Their offense leaped to seventh last year. Their defense was, it was good. And then late in the year, it kind of fell apart, but it still ended up top 50. Like they improved on the field. They were, um, you know, they, obviously they, they bowled, which is a little bit of a surprise at this from the start of the year, but they also, you know what, they lost by seven, they lost by five, they lost by three in the bowl game. They were close to being a lot better than seven and six. Um, the biggest issue is that like, we know the Josh Heupel offense by now, like, but and I used to talk a lot about covariance. Um, just this idea that some teams will, play better than average against the good teams, the worse than average against the bad, and then some will do the opposite, better than average against the bad and, and worse than average against the good. Tennessee is very much the latter, or, or Josh Heupel's offense is very much the latter. It is built to exploit whatever advantages it, it has, and if it has some advantages, they will score 48 points on you easily. Um, if they don't find an advantage, there there's no it's not so sophisticated that they're going to find their way forward against Alabama, against Georgia, against the teams with top 10 defenses. And and that makes them kind of hard to figure out. They only play two projected top 10 teams. They also play Pitt at 13th. So, um, you know, Kentucky at 21st, it's not a, it's not an easy schedule, but like you can really easy, like they're going to beat ball state. They're going to beat Akron. If Florida, I mean, I don't know about Florida. Maybe they'll they'll be fine against Florida. Um, they should they'll be favored against LSU, favored against Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Like you can easily get to eight nine wins there, even if they can't move the ball against Alabama very well. It's just can you play at a top ten level uh, or a top seven level, I guess, or eight or nine or wherever they ended up? Can you how how what's your ceiling when you can't really move the ball against the best defenses? Not that not that many can, but they for all their prolific points and against like Missouri and whatnot, they're, they're still going to struggle against Alabama and Georgia. How's Missouri looking? Fine. Like, Fine. We, like we, that's, we've I mean, settled into this comfortable place of like, at least having some level of confidence that Eli Drinkwitz is going to go out there and feel com- field competitive teams, right? Some level of confidence that the defense is going to la- line up in the right spot now. Um, we did they, not have that at the beginning of last they, year. They first half of last season. I yeah. mean, it was the strangest thing I've ever seen like that. Whoever was Ty and Evans, the guy who had like the 90 something yard run against them uh, against Tennessee. Like you could tell at the snap, like, Oh, there's, there's a big wide open space right there. And he just trots through it for 91 yards. Like they didn't blow anybody off the ball. There was just nobody lined up where they were supposed to be. And that seemed to stop over the last half of the season. So I mean, I could I could spend that. Let's see, the projected sixty fourth on defense. If they're 
you know, if if they the second half of the year was real, maybe they could be top forty or fifty. And now they might lose Steve Wilkes apparently to the NFL, but um, you know that's that's possible on offense. They're projected fifty first because they lost Basilak, but Basilak wasn't great. Like Brady Cook or who or, or Horn, the incoming freshman, could match what Basilak did. You could see a top forty production there too. But um, they're projected fifty fourth. That feels about right to me. They're going to fight for a bowl again and. In theory, maybe that changes one of these years, but they're certainly settling into a 500 or bust kind of situation right now. Like, all right, somebody has to finish last in the West. It's all your numbers seem to think it will not be Mississippi State. Yeah, it's going to be Auburn. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I agree. I, that's actually I, that's yeah. I, I've been looking at texts from that from other coaches who were like, "Hey, I heard," and I was like, "You heard something publicly?" And they're like, "No, no." I was like, "Okay, well, oh, yeah." Who's coaching? We're, we're all thinking the same thing. But, yeah. Yeah, Bill, who's coaching Auburn next year? <laughs> Jeff Grimes. Uh, Kevin Kevin Steele. They're, they're going to just they're going to flip all the way back around, and he's going to hold it. Kevin, Kevin Kevin Steele just needs a nameplate that can slide into every college football office. <laughs> like, oh yeah, sorry, sorry, Mario. I'm going to have to. 40, take this, uh, Kevin Steele's got like LED lights for a Zoom meeting. Like, all right, now <laughs> so, like just now I'm at Miami, and now I'm at Auburn. <laughs> 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 Forty million. They're looking at forty million dollars in buyouts in yeah. a year and a half. Like, I, I mean, I, I just like come on. Like that's we, you know, we're gonna. As I joked on Twitter, like the, the malls on years. Every single year was dramatic. Every single year was like, oh, he might get fired. Boosters might get their way. That's gonna be looked back at as like just an amazingly stable time uh, on the planes. I yeah. SP plus says it's going to be like, what is it? Um, not that anybody's projected to do poorly, but LSU being last Arkansas six Auburn fifth. I, I mean, yeah, I figure by the time August rolls around, the portal will have made a dent in Auburn's projections a little bit further. Um, and maybe they're projected lowest at that point, but LSU, I mean, they're 45th well behind everybody else. And I get it. I don't necessarily agree. I mean, Brian Kelly, I don't know if he's a top five team coach, but he's definitely a top 15 team coach and he'll probably get them back to that level. Um, but I get why they would be projected in the forties right now. The other thing I briefly hear before, before we finish with, with Ole Miss, um, it seems like for with the early signing period, people are firing their coach earlier and earlier in the season. And there's really no way for SP plus to, to right. be like, Hey, I got to make an adjustment for this team, basically yeah. quitting and playing just for themselves USC. and not yeah. one another for the last two months, but USC as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like when I, when I looked at the SP plus this morning, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to manually adjust LSU yeah. and USC, even, even independent of the transfers, because I don't really feel like the data they gave us last year was a true indicator of their talent level and right. organizational level. Yeah. I mean, LSU did it two years in a row though. Um, that's true. So that is that's true. a little USC was, was decent in 2020 was projected to be like top 15 or close to it. Uh, and then because they were so horrible down the stretch, they finished 82nd. Uh, and again, that was mostly defense. The offense was, wasn't great, but it was still 45th. Defense was 106th. And again, Grinch, Coach got fired on September 13th. What kind of motivation are you going to have in October and November? I mean, Your offense still fired on September 13th because it's no, that's, touchdowns. No, like if I was if I was making manual adjustments, I would like change their last year's rating in the formula to you know. 60th 50th maybe not 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 82nd um and and that would probably make at least a one or two point difference in the projections this year but i mean i again like their offense is projected 33rd i assume it's a top 15 offense i assume that that adjustment should be made 
I don't know why the two why I would possibly expect the defense to be better than about top seventy, uh, top eighty, maybe just because for USC uh, for USC, right. yeah, LSU again. Like I kind of I, I two years in a row is different than doing it one year, but USC was also way worse than them last year, I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. Like this is a situation where if you're going through and you're making manual adjustments for say you know betting purposes. Um, there are certainly, uh, you know, you're, you're maybe adjusting LSU a little bit. You're probably adjusting LS or USC quite a bit, especially on offense. Last one, Chip. I've, Last one. I got to take a dog to the vet. So. Yeah, All yeah. Right, we got the portal. We, we got the portal King Lane Kiffin, who is tweeting out memes, troll, trolling Brian Kelly. And yet they're, then <clears> they, they've taken a ton of transfers. We've rated their transfers really highly at 24 seven sports. Yep. They're 98th in returning production. Where are they still having to, like, where should Lane Kiffin go out and grab some more portal guys right now so that they can get that number up? Yeah, if they want to game the projections, um, then adding another couple of receivers would be the way to go, I think. Because they, I mean, obviously, Zach Evans, that's that's a pretty exciting addition. He only had 92 carries and 10 catches last year. So that only makes so much of a difference in an offense where three guys who had 100-plus carries left. But that's that's where they struggled. Like obviously, Jackson Dart was another situation where you know he's exciting, but he only threw for thirteen hundred yards. So they still only returned thirty six percent quarterback production, twenty four percent of running back production, like forty something percent of receiver production. That's where the issues are. Defense, they have issues too. Um, but obviously, the offense was why they were particularly good last year, and um, so that that ends up being a little concerning there. I mean, we'll see. Like I, I could I, I, again in the, in a world of manual adjustments, I'm probably adding a couple points to their offense. Um, but I, that's why they're so low. Their skill core just is gone from last year. They had to rebuild it from scratch. He is Bill Connolly. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C. His returning production rankings and the preseason football, the college football SP Plus preseason projections for 2022 are out now. Hot off the press, released on Tuesday and Wednesday at ESPN.com. Go and check it out. Bill, thank you very much. See you, bud. Thank you.